everyone, happy new year and welcome to this episode of Capital Chats. I'm your host, Michelle Johnson. Today, we are joined by the rest of our government relations team, lobbyist Emily Piper and government relations director, Phil Jennery. They're here to give us a preview of what we can expect for the upcoming legislative session that begins next week. So Emily, we'll jump right in. What can we expect overall from this legislative session? Uh, Michelle, thanks for that question. I think overall, what you can expect is that the legislature will, the the Republicans that are in control of both chambers are going to want to move pretty quickly to get their priorities done. Uh, Number one is they're continuing to have that discussion about further tax cuts, um, particularly because of the size of the taxpayer uh, relief fund. And so given that, and we'll talk about this later, redistricting and and the election coming up, they're going to want to move quickly, get their work done, go back out and start talking to their new constituents. The other thing that we can expect is that the governor is going to talk about workforce shortages, which runs the gamut from just, you know, from people working in factories to teachers and, and the support staff that we need in our schools. And we anticipate a pretty big proposal from her to address workforce shortages across the spectrum of our uh, of our state. Um, and finally, I think we will probably have a voucher fight again this year. I think that that is an issue that we know that groups that support vouchers have been working the grassroots to push, and the governor is likely to propose that as well. So supplemental state aid, or SSA, is typically one of the first big issues the legislature tackles each year. Emily, do we have an idea of what we can expect in terms of an SSA rate and funding for schools? The state is in a solid position with revenues and and we have a a, a huge surplus. And and when you take a look at that and and the ability to provide a higher level of SSA than in prior years is certainly there. The problem is, is that folks get focused on the percentage and not the amount of money. And when you get focused on, we want to be consistent that we're only going to propose 2.5% every year because otherwise it looks like a cut that makes it challenging to get to that higher level of investment. Um, we're, we're obviously going to be pushing for as much as possible. We're working in concert with the other education groups to try to make some strong arguments that the state can do better than 2.5% and probably can get as high, you know, even into the threes, maybe close to 4%. So that's going to be our push. So are delegates approved dropout at risk as a priority this year? And this funding is not top of mind for many legislators. So Phil, what is our plan to address the inequity and dropout prevention and at-risk funding? And then how do we gain support for that plan? Sure. So this has been an issue that has come up to us before the last several years. A lot of school districts have talked about the need to get more dropout prevention funding to deal with mental health issues uh, with their students. And then given everything that's happened with the pandemic, you know, there are a lot of issues going on that that this money uh, could really help students. So, you know, we've heard a lot from, from districts about it. So we've met with uh, with legislators over the, the summer and fall months and came up with a proposal that will be introduced in both the House and the Senate. So we have uh, Representative Chad Ingalls in the House and Senator Chris Knoyer uh, in the Senate, both are former school board members that will be introducing uh, a proposal that we came up with uh, that will do a five-year phase in to get every district at the end of five years to be eligible to get the maximum uh, percentage, which is 5% uh, for uh, being able to spend that on on their uh, students that are are identified as dropout and at risk. So uh, we've been working with legislators, working with uh, uh, the the other education groups as well uh, to get more uh, support for this and also to get legislators to get this on their radar because, you know, this is a big issue. Now, the second question uh, that you talked about is how do we gain support for this? You know, one of the the things that, that we've tried to do in the past is get this done and it hasn't really moved uh, because of the uh, 
potential property tax impacts. And, uh, you know, I think we all know how popular uh, the, the increase in property taxes up, up at the legislature. It isn't. So that's what's uh, really held this back. But what I think, um, you know, we can do is, you know, really kind of talk about have, have our districts talk to your legislators, uh, you know, especially if they're on uh, either the education or ways and means committees and, and talk to them about dropout prevention. You know, as you said, I don't think a lot, a lot of legislators know uh, what dropout prevention is and what it's used for. So really talking about what that fund is used for, uh, talk about some success stories and if you're meeting with your legislators, maybe have uh, some students that have, you know, really succeeded uh, with the help of, of dropout prevention, you know, kind of kind of put a, a face with an issue there, because uh, that's what what is really going to change some of the minds here. And then also kind of explain the need for it. 200 districts have been capped uh, below that 5% mark uh, since 2013 when the legislature uh, changed the uh, law there. And so for almost a decade, there has been an inequity in how much uh, some districts, those 200 districts, can spend. And so, you know, why is this needed? It's not just, you know, we want more money. There, there is a need for it. So, you know, really kind of talk to them about it. And then also, you know, asking them to uh, support the bill. Again, have them talk to you know, if, if your legislators aren't on the education or ways and means committee and, and they do support this, have them talk to those members and say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot from our districts that, you know, there's a bill, uh, you know, Representative Ingalls and, and Senator Knoyer had this bill. Um, you know, you can have your, your legislators talk to them and then say, hey, you know, how, how can I help you? You know, I'm, I'm supportive of this. How, how else can I, uh, you know, what else can I do to, to help you with this? And, and those legislators will, will know what to do. And so, you know, the more that we can really bring the, the, the need to light, I think is, is how we're going to get this done. Definitely. So as our members have shown through our call for priorities process and from everything we've heard from districts, the teacher shortage is proving to be one of the most challenging aspects of this school year. And IESB has been working to come up with possible legislative solutions during the interim. So Emily, can you outline these ideas and then tell us how you see them taking shape in the legislature? Certainly, Michelle. So we worked actually very closely with um, ISEA because obviously from the boards and from the teacher standpoint, this is a, is a top issue. And we've come up with three proposals that we think start us down the path of addressing the issue. It doesn't solve the entire problem. The first is to increase the amount of money in the Teach Iowa Scholar Program. This provides a um, loan repayment for teachers who agree to go teach in an Iowa school district for five years. So we want to get some more money into that. Right now, that's funded at $400,000. We're asking for a $1.6 million increase so that we can make that a more useful program. And in addition to that, we're eliminating the focus on high needs areas. Let's be honest. All of our teaching areas are high needs at the moment. Secondly, we look, took a look at programs around the country that help encourage people to finish their teacher prep programs and go through their student teaching experience without knowing that this can cause some financial hardship. And so we're proposing the creation of a, a student teaching stipend fund that would provide student teachers up to $4,000, and then they would agree to teach in an Iowa school district for up to three years. We think that this would give us some great opportunity, to, particularly for those students who might be financially unable to complete their student teaching experience and to help defray some of the costs of that so that we encourage those folks to finish the teacher prep programs. And the last thing that we're taking a look at is, again, looking at some examples from around the country. How can we get a more streamlined alternative pathway to allow folks who might be making a mid-career change? So somebody who took early retirement or wants to move from being um, an insurance actuary to being a math teacher. 
and coming up with a condensed program that would allow you to earn money and teach at the same time you're being overseen by a mentor teacher in your school. So it's, it's combining both the additional education with the practical experience. We know that there's going to be a lot of attention focused on teacher shortages. Um, Senator Sinclair, who chairs the Senate Education Committee, has said that this is one of her top priorities. We know the governor is focused on it with respect to the workforce package that she's putting together. So we're really excited to have some of these ideas included in that process, and we'll look forward to seeing what else comes up. So, Phil, are there any other major education issues that we can expect the legislature to spend time on this year? I think we've kind of talked mostly about them, but I would say the uh, voucher issue, you know, we kind of thought with the passage of the charter school bill last year and and us uh, being able to stop the you know, I say us as in all, all the education folks and, and, and school board members were able to stop the voucher bill last year. We thought that we would be able to maybe take a year off of vouchers, but doesn't look like that is going to happen. And we're going to be back on this trail again. And so we're working to confirm those that were opposed last year are, are still opposed. And so I think that the voucher issue is, is going to be a big fo- uh, focus for us, you know, as we talked about before workforce. Besides, you know, funding over the last probably three or four years, the uh, teacher recruitment and, and licensure uh, resolution in, in our platform has really gained the most steam, you know, it was about probably, you know, 10, 15, 20 districts. And now, you know, now it was, I think, the third highest rated resolution uh, uh, submitted. So obviously workforce, and that's just not teaching, that's statewide. And it has been, and, and it's only been uh, exacerbated these last couple of years. And, and, and Emily just kind of went over some of the stuff that we're working on. Uh, so, you know, vouchers, workforce, and then uh, one thing that, you know, in, in conversations we've had talking about property taxes is, you know, there, there's been bills in the past about this, but something that kind of has come up the last few times we've talked with legislators is about having a notification to voters of potential property tax increases and showing in fiscal year 2020, you paid this amount of property taxes in fiscal or, you know, be fiscal year 21 and, and then in 22, that this is what you're going to pay and having that notice sent out. That's something that we have heard quite a bit. Uh, so I would expect there, there to be a, a, a bill about that. But, you know, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of uh, issues that legislators talk about that, you know, get, get clicks on uh, on social media. And, you know, we we hear that from our members, you know, Senator or, or Representative so-and-so said this, you know, you know, is this a big issue? You know, what sometimes get, gets clicks, you know, when, when we talk with other legislators doesn't mean it, it, it's necessarily going to move. But I, I would say outside of, of vouchers and, and workforce and uh, some of these tax notification things. I mean, I, I think those are some of the, the bigger issues uh, outside of funding and, and, and some of the other things that, that we talked about. So we have not had an election since the last legislative session, but that doesn't mean the internal dynamics of the legislature can't change. Emily, have there been any changes to leadership or committee chairs? So there's only been um, one change, and that is um, to the ranking member, the Democrat on the House Education Committee. Representative Ross Smith is running for governor or for his party's nomination for governor. And so he has been replaced as the ranking member with Representative Sharon Stuckman, who's a Democrat from Mason City. But other than that, everything has stayed pretty much the same. Good to know. And then we also went through a round of redistricting after the census this past year. So what impact will redistricting have on the face of the legislature? Well, I think it's going to have a couple of really big impacts. Number one, 
you're going to see a lot of folks take a look at this as an opportunity to retire. Okay. They've been there and maybe they got thrown in with someone else. So we're going to see a lot. And we've already seen a list of that starting to grow of legislators who said, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to try to run again. Certainly um, the rural districts got a lot larger. So House and Senate members are going to be covering larger territory. And as the population centers around the suburban areas, those are going to become real battlegrounds. There are a number of districts where there was no current incumbent. And so you'll see there are some legislators who have decided to move rather than to have a primary with one of their colleagues. Um, And in some cases, we have some Democrats and Republicans thrown into the same district that they'll have to make some decisions about how they're going to move forward with that. So I think it's a little bit early to know how many people will actually require the filing deadline isn't until March, but I anticipate that we will see a lot of new faces next year. It'll be interesting to see. So thanks to Phil and Emily for giving us an idea of what we can expect from this legislative session. The legislature starts their session next Monday, January 10th. So for weekly updates throughout the session, be sure to read ISB's board briefs each Friday and check out our Advocacy in Action webpage for more in-depth bill summaries and, of course, ideas for advocacy throughout the session. Additionally, you can register for our annual Day on the Hill on our website. It will be February 1st here in Des Moines. So this is a great opportunity to join fellow school board members in a day of learning and advocacy for public education. So thanks for listening, everyone.